You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome to Collective Cafe To Go. This is the podcast version of the Collective Cafe. Now, the Collective Cafe happens every single weekday, Monday through Friday, from 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time in Alpha Collective's Discord server, discord.gg forward slash alpha collective. It is free. It always will be free. There are no strings. There is no bait and switch. If you like to listen live and even participate, come onto stage, comment in our back chat, you can do that. Whether you're on the treadmill, getting the kids ready for school, getting yourself ready for work, commuting into the big bad city, or maybe just even commuting from your bedroom into your home office. On Monday, we manifest. On Tuesday, we talk thought leadership. On Wednesday, we have guests take the stage, almost like an open mic. On Thursday, we do live book reads and discussions. And then on Friday, it's No Agenda Friday, where there is no agenda. Start your day off on the right foot, on the front foot, with virtual coffee, with the Collective Cafe, where we mastermind, we manifest, we collaborate, we help one another at the business of Web3 or anything else that intersects, whether it's culture, collaboration, creativity, innovation, disruption. So give us a subscribe if you're listening on the podcast or come and attend one day. Remember, it is a safe, welcoming space and you will never, ever be put on the spot. This is the Collective Cafe to go. Well, good morning, everybody. It is February 27th. It's, can you believe it? It's almost the end of February. Wow. Two months, two months down, two months down, 10 to go. Uh, how's your, how's your year? How's, how's everything going? Has everything begun the way that you hoped? This is Manifesting Monday. So we can manifest for today. We can manifest for this week. We can manifest for the month of March. We can manifest for all of 2023, if that's what we so desire. Uh, is the world calming down? Uh, is it more stable? Or does it seem like it's, I don't know, spinning endlessly out of control? Um, I don't know. I suppose everything is relative. And um, and that's a concept maybe we can chat a little bit about today, this idea of relativity, right? Um, what is important to you? What is important to you may not be important to me. Um, what may be risky to you may not be risky to me. Uh, how do we create almost this idea of a, of a Babel fish or a, a universal translator that allows us to be able to... Um, I don't know, equate our relativity in life. You know, what does success look like for you? Is it, is it money? Is it power? Is it control? Is it health? Is it happiness? And, and moreover, what happens when your idea or your version of success is not shared by your spouse, by your partner, by your boss, by your clients? Um, how do you reconcile that? So there's relative reconciliation, there's a concept for you, relative reconciliation or reconciliation of relative goals, ultimately. You know, for me, uh, money is not a motivator. Um, but at the same time, you know, try telling that to a spouse. Um, that's, that's not what they want to hear. What they want to hear is, how are you going to pay the bills? Um, how are you going to pay the mortgage? And, um, and how are we going to afford that beautiful vacation that we've always planned? So how do we reconcile things that are material 
with things that are, I don't want to say immaterial, but certainly um, not material. These are challenges. And I think, you know, when we manifest and when we articulate our goals, um, we're able to at least get a better sense as to kind of how to make those connections and how to bridge those gaps, cross those chasms, if you will. Good morning to Tim and to Bez. Hope you had wonderful, wonderful weekends. Um, you know, I was uh, chatting with my sister this morning, and uh, we we talk to each other every morning round about uh, Eastern, 6.40, 6.30, 6.50, and then again in about 50 minutes as I go to uh, synagogue every morning uh, to say the mourner's prayer for my mom for the next 11 months. And, you know, we're talking about the show. We were talking... Uh, just the ability to articulate, you know, Joseph Jaffe's Not Famous, and even to articulate uh, the Collective Cafe. Um, and, you know, she was pushing me and she was saying, well, how, you, how are you monetizing? How will you monetize? Um, and I think just in, in terms of, just in, in having that conversation with her, it helped me tremendously, you know, because I started getting into the whole, you know, and I was very honest. I said, you know, I've always struggled because I'm an ideas guy. I've always struggled to be able to answer the question, who's your audience and uh, what's the problem being solved? And I'm like, well, you know, not that I'm comparing myself to Steve Jobs and I'm not, um, but did Steve Jobs go and solve problems or did he create solutions? Um, you know, did Henry Ford um, produce faster horses or did he produce a car? And again, I'm not comparing myself to Henry Ford, but, but these triangulations help in terms of being able to birth an idea and then figure out how to uh, let that idea live and thrive and grow and, and, and flourish. And uh, in many respects, that's kind of a, a reconciliation, which is ideas are ideas. They don't necessarily have to come from a brief. They can come from the shower. They can come from you know, curiosity, they can come from frustration. But in terms of then being able to, you know, you take the, if the idea is a seed, you plant that seed, but you have to plant the seed in fertile ground. You can't plant it in, in concrete, right? You can't just drop it on the floor. You have to find soil. You have to find the right environment. You have to find the right climate. You have to then be able to water it and, and, and make sure that the conditions are conducive to and for growth. And so in a way, it's almost like me saying the business model can come afterwards. The monetization can come afterwards. And so we started having this conversation and I you know, brought her back to uh, life after the 32nd spot. As we did, you know, you, you will recall, we did that live read during the month of, oh, when was it? It was probably, I guess it was November or December. Um, yeah, I think it was December because January we did super bosses, February we we're doing turn the ship around. Um, and I spoke about the vicious cycle of content, right? So when, when eyeballs are fleeting, why? Because of proliferation and fragmentation and streaming and on demand and, you know, and, and multitasking and yada, 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 more choice, etc. Netflix. Well, the first thing that, that results is that ad dollars uh, fleet or ad dollars decline because there's less reach, there's less eyeballs. And when ad dollars decline, then the quality and the standard of content declines. And when the quality uh, and the standard of content declines, well, guess what happens? Eyeballs decline as well. And there is your vicious cycle. So how do you fix it? So, And as I reminded my sister, you know, well, the answer has been reality TV, right? Um, you put 23 people on an island or 23 people in a house, uh, call it The Bachelor, 22 people basically embarrass the crap out of themselves and, you know, get their names just, just dragged through the mud, uh, but all in search of love or a or million dollars on Survivor or Big Brother, a million dollars. But the fact is one person wins a million dollars, and the others go home with, I don't know, 5,000 or 10,000 new Instagram followers. And so, you know, uh, 
uh, what was it, AJ Benza, fame, ain't, ain't it a bitch? I mean, that's what that's the price of audience. That's the price of growth. That's the price of personal branding these days. But from an economic standpoint, one person gets a million dollars. And then I reminded my sister that, you know, in the last, I don't know, three or four or five years, maybe more of friends, uh, David Schwemmer led a consortium. He represented the other five friends and they negotiated $1 million per friend per episode. So can you imagine now a season? I don't know how many there were. Let's say there were, I don't know, I'm going to make it up, uh, 23 episodes in a season. So 23 episodes where each friend earned $1 million each for essentially what is 23 minutes of content. Now, that's not even getting into paying the other actors uh, on Friends, the 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 cost, the the crew, the the guest, you know, the uh, craft services, um, you know, guest appearances, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, the marketing engine, the PR engine. So when all is said and done, um, that's a very different cost structure um, to you know being able to you know to producing something like Survivor, and that's why rea- and that's one of the reasons why you've seen reality television grow the way that it has. And so I said to my sister, well, maybe the business model, the monetization is the fact that I produce the show for free. I mean, for free as in, as in, you know, no one's paying me, but also, you know, this is how I produce it. I bought a roadcaster for 500 bucks. I bought a, a Logitech HD cam for, I don't know, $250, but I could use, if I chose, and a microphone, uh, a road a, a road microphone for I don't know what it was three four hundred dollars. The reality is I could just use my MacBook Pro. I could, I could use my MacBook Pro. I could use Streamyard, um, and I could still produce the show uh, for almost zero dollars. Now, that is part of a business model. That is part of a cost structure that says if you can produce a business talk show for what is essentially nothing, well. You know, now you can actually factor that into your monetization, into your PL, um, because your cost of goods or your cost of, uh, you know, your, 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 your cost of sales is, is virtually zero. And that almost becomes part of the charm, right? It's, it's the Daily Show, you know, meets Wayne's World. Um, but part of the articulation as well, as I said, well, you know, what is the problem being solved? Um, I still don't know the answer. I don't know what the problem is being solved. Um, maybe there isn't a problem. You know, maybe that's okay. But I was able to articulate this, what I call this, you know, this triad, this trifecta, this tripod of what I believe the show brings to the table. So on one hand, there's no question. There's inform, there's educate, there's, there's, there's content that will teach, that will um, that will provide insights that will help you with your job, that will help you in your professional life. There's no question. We're, you know, uh, I'm interviewing business uh, luminaries, uh, executives, authors of books on leadership, um, etc. The the second element is the motivational aspect, the inspiration. You know, the kind of like post tone. I say post, but like. You know, the <clears throat> the speaker on stage that says, get up and stand up and, you know, today is the first day of the rest of your life, at least something that's going to inspire you to take action, to, you know, to change your life, to, you know, um, to not be miserable anymore. There's no question that the show brings that to the table. And then the third part of it is entertainment. And so I actually just produced, I, I want to share it with you, and also, I'll give you a little uh, power update in a moment as well. I'm so proud of this. I just produced, you know, I went back and I realized that I did not have, uh, I hadn't gone back and produced like a new intro to the show in a while. And so I took the entire song, you know, the that I've been using, the, 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 um, the song um, that, uh, that you always hear in the intro, and uh, I just produced a whole massive highlight reel um, just with like outtakes and funny moments. I just put that into uh, the, the back chat uh, as well. And, uh, and you can see that there's an entertainment aspect. That's the third piece, you know, or the third leg of the stool. That is the first leg of 
the third leg of the tripod in this hope, positivity, and optimism, um, you know, uh, cocktail. And in this particular video is Ramon Ray, Dan Fail, Gordon Glenister, Anne Handley, Roberto Blake, Ryan Carson, Doug Gordon, Sarah Panis, Benny Salas, Bert Oliva, Tom Peters, Krista Nair, Shanda Sumter, Jeremy Delk, Michael Brenner, Gigi Scarlett, Heather Parody, and John Lee Dumas. And, uh, you know, and sometimes, like, you need to do this. You need to be able to go and, and reflect. I've watched this video now about four or five times. Every time I do, I watch it from start to finish, and there's a big smile on my face. Um, and, you know, and, and I realize that, you know, business doesn't have to be boring. Life doesn't have to be uninspiring. You can have fun and you can make money, right? These were the words from my first big, big boss, Robbie Brosen, the founder of Nando's. Have fun, make money, which I changed later to have fun, do good, make money. And, uh, and so is there a problem being solved? Maybe people are trying to make money all the time, stuck, laid off, you know, looking to, miserable, um, so how do we make money? How can we become more entrepreneurial? How can we take more risk? There is a problem there. The do good, well the, well, the world needs. The world needs people to provide light and, and goodness and kindness and empathy and pay it forward and, and treat people um, like they deserve to be treated. We need less uh, misogynists in this world. Um, we need less bad people and bad actors in this world. And they have fun. Well, you know what, whether we call that a bonus or not, um, whether it's an optional or extra, I would say it isn't. I would say it's an absolute mandatory, which is to have fun. Life is too short to be too serious, to be too intense, you know, to, you know, not be able to actually enjoy what you do and love what you do. Um, so good morning to uh, to Christopher and to Jensa. Uh, welcome. Here's the quick Poep update. Um, so what happened on Friday, uh, you know, it's like it's my, my life as a Poep and other short stories. I thought I got a note saying I'd been banned for, you know, repeat use of, of, of whatever or misuse of the algorithm. And I was like really sad about it and a little depressed about it because, you know, I really am not doing that. I'm really doing my best. I'm an advocate for POAPs. I want to incorporate in everything I'm doing. And I was like, I was like really bummed. Like I was like, I'm just trying my best. I'm just, you know, one person trying to make a difference. And anyway, long story short, it transpired there was something wrong on their end and they fixed it. And so, you know, I wasn't in fact banned, thank goodness. And so I set up the decaf POAP for today, but, you know, made a tiny little mistake because it's UTC and so I said 12.55 p.m. to um, to 1.10 p.m. And so I kind of messed it up. Um, so I've tried to fix it. And so all things being equal, um, you should be able to get Friday's POAP today at uh, 8.55. Um, so in about 30 minutes from now until about 9.10. And the uh, secret word is decaf. So I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that you're able um, to get that. So I just wanted uh, to let you know. So have fun, do good, make money. Hope, positivity, and optimism. That's really the show I've created, the daily show for business. Um, who's the audience? I don't know. Um, you're the audience. No one's the audience. You know, 8 billion potential people are the audience. Um, do I need help figuring that out? Probably um, I would imagine a small business owner is audience, an entrepreneur, a startup founder, an executive, um, an intern. Why wouldn't anyone be an audience? When I look at the range and I look at the quality of the, the guests and the different conversations I've had, I don't see anyone, I don't see any exclusions that say man, woman, young, old, senior, junior, uh, US, non-US. I really don't. Um, and I know it's kind of like the kiss of death because when you say like everyone is the audience, you know, investors don't like to hear that. Uh, buyers don't like to hear that. When you say no one is, is uh, there's no competition out there, no one's doing this, they don't like that either. Um, and, and I find myself in that kind of slight purgatory because I don't know who else is putting together a business talk show. I don't know, uh, you know, I, I do believe everyone is potentially the audience. But, but, you know, as Roberto Blake would say, 
you've got to focus. You've got to niche down in order to then, I think, uh, you know, maybe expand uh, back up again. Um, so, you know, these were just some thoughts from from the conversation this morning. You know, it is very appropriate for manifesting or manifestation Monday um, because I, I'm going to go ahead and and maybe write up a, a slide or two, you know, on where the show stands um, and and figure out how to then, you know, put this little reel in front of people and, you know, and uh, with this idea of saying, you may see what looks like outtakes. These aren't outtakes because they're all live. They were all on the show. Um, but also when you look at the caliber of people that are represented, um, you realize, and the diversity of them as well, not just in terms of their backgrounds, but also their their thought leadership, their subject matter expertise, um, it's, it's something that can be molded, right? So an idea is either a seed that can be planted or an idea is almost like Play-Doh. It's something that in the right hands can be shaped and molded and turned into something incredible. An idea is like a Lego, right? It's, it's uh, when connected and when, when, when joined with similar, uh, you know, different colors and similar pieces and different shapes and sizes uh, can be built into something absolutely magnificent. I am a huge believer in the power of ideas. I believe that ideas can change the world. Um, as long as you're open and humble, um, but also at the same time, just a little bit stubborn too. You got to decide what can never be changed and you got to decide what can be changed. I would also be able to, you know, uh, posit or put forward position to you that the more things on the table that can be changed, the more likely the idea is to win. So that's a an interesting concept, right? What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is in, you know, years ago or even a few years ago, definitely when I was younger in my career, <clears throat> I would have said the name is non-negotiable. The name is Joseph Jaffe is not famous and I will never change that. And if you ask me to change it, I'll tell you to go get stuffed. You know, it's non-negotiable. I might have <clears throat> said to you, that the show must be done in my office, in my home office. The rawness, the one-man band, the, you know, the, that it's non-negotiable. But guess what? Neither of them are really negotiable. Because if it was CEO talks with Joseph Jaffe, or how about Alpha talks with Joseph Jaffe? That's more aligned with Alpha Collective, don't you think? So if it was Alpha talks with Joseph Jaffe, then why not? And what about if it was in a studio? What if, you know, CNBC said, yeah, we'll, give you, we'll, we'll do a pilot for you, but you've got to come into our studio, which could be in New Jersey, it could be in Manhattan, it could be in Stamford, Connecticut. You know, with a bit of luck and a bit of conversation, the studio could actually be made or engineered to look like my home office. In fact, with a bit of creativity, you could even have things like doorbells ringing, and dogs barking and almost simulate the idea of working from home. That doesn't come if you are rigid and inflexible. It doesn't come if you're closed-minded. It doesn't come if you're arrogant. It doesn't come if you're a control freak. It doesn't come if you ultimately have a superiority complex. It only comes from being able to open up yourself to a little bit of humility, um, vulnerability, um, acceptance that you don't have all the answers, that, that, that are, there are other people that actually are smarter than you, or there may be people that aren't necessarily smarter than you, but they have a perspective. They have a, sp a perspective and they bring a perspective. And even if that perspective is, is completely left field, what it will do is it will fire off a couple of synapses and it will allow you to make connections. And be able to say, you know what, well, that idea would never work, but, you know, so like that, that but is the idea of, yeah, we can do it in a studio, but the studio could be made to look like your home office. And that would work. As opposed to this insistence of, you know, this, this inflexibility. Now, listen, I am a big fan of being able to, you know, produce the traffic lights. What is non-negotiable, red will never change. What, you know, 
will always change green and what might change. You know, conversation, the amber, the yellow. I just think we have to be very, very clear and very, very um, honest with ourselves and before we're honest with others about what really is non-negotiable. I mean, on one hand, they say like everyone has a price. So if that's true, good morning, Jersey King. If that's true that everyone has a price, well, then everything's negotiable, isn't it? Think about something that you would say is non-negotiable, that you will never, ever sell, that you will never, ever give up. Well, if I was to keep adding zeros to my asking price, at some point you might. I mean, if there is an example, I'd love to hear it. I'd love to hear about something that is non-negotiable and will never be negotiable, ever, 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 you know? Um, I mean, could it be like maybe your cell phone number? If I said I want to buy your cell phone number, um, you'd probably say no way. I mean, I've had that cell phone for, I mean, I've had my, uh, my cell phone since 1997. But for the right price, of course I would. You know, um, so what is truly non-negotiable? It might be religion. You know, it might be, uh, it might be your spouse. Do you remember that movie, uh, Indecent Proposal? With, um, who was it with? Um, uh, Indecent Proposal. I know, I think Demi Moore was in it and Robert Redford was in it. And who was the, uh, who was the, the, the husband? Let's see, Indecent uh, Proposal. I mean, that, that really asked the question. Robert Redford, uh, yeah, I thought it was Woody Harrelson, and it was. Uh, what a cost, by the way. Uh, Oliver Platt, Billy Bob Thornton, Woody Harrelson, Demi Moore, and Robert Redford. Uh, that movie was from 1993. A happily married young couple, David Murphy and Diana Murphy, have started their respective careers. She as a real estate broker, he as an architect. That's all that comes up. Uh, on IMDb, but uh, but uh, but basically, I had to read more. But it's basically uh, a billionaire. A billionaire offers a million dollars to a young married couple for one night with the wife. Um, how many of you would do that? By the way, don't answer all at once. Um, but how many of you do, would do that? How many of you would entertain? Forget about what your spouse would say. What would you say? You know, would you be open to it? What if your spouse came to you with this billionaire saying, you'll never guess, uh, you'll never guess what just happened to me. I just got approached by a stranger who offered a billion dollars for one night with, with you, with my spouse. Or, you know, how would you feel? How would you feel if they came to you, your spouse? Would you be like, hell no, over my dead body? Um, which probably would be 10 billion. I'm just kidding. Um, so, Everything has a price and everyone has a price. Um, and if that's true, right, then, then the thing that you thought was non-negotiable maybe, not, maybe isn't as non-negotiable as you thought. And so your stubbornness, your ability to hold on to that was actually um, maybe something that held you back. Good morning to Billy. And just a reminder if you, for a few people that just joined, uh, the PO app should be live 8.55 to 9.10. Um, and the code, the secret word is DECAF, small, uh, uh, lowercase, one word for Bez, D-E-C-A-F. And, um, and we're going to, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to actually uh, uh, produce a little bit of a, of a bonus with this DECAF um, uh, PO app, which is when next any of you see me, in a physical IRL place, you just have to show me that decaf POAP in your wallet and I will buy you a coffee. Simple as that. And uh, so there you go. Um, show me today's POAP and I'll buy you a coffee. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe I'm going to start doing a few more things like that. Already, I've basically said that anyone who shows me any of my POAPs IRL, I'll buy them a drink. Um, so... Uh, and let's just say for for all intents and purposes, up until this moment in time. So tomorrow's POAP, maybe not so. But anyone that shows me uh, a POAP in their wallet, minted in their wallet, IRL, I'm buying you a drink. I'm buying you a glass of wine or a beer. And today's one uh, comes with a cup of coffee. So how about that uh, as well?
So, you know, been riffing a little bit about uh, about manifestation, about being open-minded, about negotiable, about, uh, you know, about change, um, about my goals for the show today, this week, this month, this year. We're almost at the end of February. And uh, I'm curious as to how your year is going. I'm curious as to um, as to whether you feel um, you're uh, you're on track. Yes, Bears writes, uh, "LOL, decaf, one word, uh, always one word, always lowercase. Maybe not always one word, um, but you know what constitutes a success for you today, this week, the month of March, the rest of the year. Are you in fact uh, on track? And if not, what's it going to take to get you back on track? Um, and 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 how can we help? How can I help? How can we help each other? Um, how can we inspire one another? How can we teach one another? How can we entertain one another? Because this is ultimately the trifecta of what I believe the Daily Show for Business can bring to the table. Um, this idea that says, you know, maybe part of, of the biggest problem in life is, is inertia. You know, it's, and the biggest opportunity in life, I think, is momentum. Now, think about that for a second. The biggest problem is inertia, getting off your butt, you know, um, making something happen, uh, deciding to quit smoking, deciding to go on diet, deciding to train for a marathon, that first step, that first moment, deciding to go for therapy, whatever the case may be. So the biggest challenge is inertia, and the biggest opportunity is momentum. I mean, that's what we really want, right? We really want to get into into overdrive. We want to get into that fifth or sixth gear, we want to get into autopilot. Um, we want to get into cruise control. We want to, you know, using the cycling analogy, we want to get to the point where we actually aren't necessarily, um, you know, pedaling, where we're just kind of, I don't know what the word is, because, you know, I'm more of a peloton cyclist than an outdoor cyclist. But, you know, when you're just kind of coasting um, on your bike, that's what we want. Not, not, not forever, but just for enough time to regain our energy, to to uh, you know to fill our tanks, and then be able to prepare ourselves for the slog, the hill, the next challenge, the the next ascent. You know, um, Billy, to use the two nine oh two nine analogy. I have, by the way, my quick update is uh, I've I've approached them to ask for a refund. I, I'm not sure that uh, that I'm up to it to actually complete it this year. Uh, but if they come back to me and they say you you can't, then I'll do it, you know. And and maybe Billy and I will be in fact climbing Stratton in 2024, um, which was the original goal was to do it together. Um, but you know that was also me being a little realistic, saying you know here we are Feb 27th. This is meant to take place August 15th. I always thought I would do it as a tribute to my mom, but then my mom passed and. So everything has just kind of, you know, changed a little bit um, as well. But, but I think it's, it's a beautiful analogy, actually, to go and, and think about this 29029 race. You know, walking up, uh, ascending, climbing up a mountain, you know, a hill, a ski slope, 17 times. The same time, 17. There's a, there's a repetitiveness. There's a monotony to it. Um, there's also an, a, an ease which is once you've done it once, you know what you know. You know what's in store, you know, and and that's a good thing. But but the the analogy I wanted to just use is this idea of of you know the the psychological preparation, the mental, the emotional preparation, the climbing up the mountain, the getting to the top, and then taking the gondola down. This idea of rinse and repeat, and 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 actually, there's a word missing, which is recharge, right? It's recharge, rinse, and repeat because we constantly have to be, you know, drawing energy um, as opposed to expending energy. You know, one of the most, uh, one of the best things that came out, Billy says the repetitiveness is what makes it great. Um, You know, one of the things that came out for me when I did this crazy 100-hour fast. I might actually be like now suffering because of it. Today, I have two doctor's appointments, one with the orthopedic surgeon and one with the gastroenterologist. So we'll just kind of, we will not expand 
uh, on either of them. But I'm definitely, I don't know whether I have an appendix issue and a hernia issue. I don't know what's going on. Um, so everything comes at a price. And I'm hoping this isn't the price I'm paying for the 100-hour fast. But I'll tell you one thing. After about 72 hours in this fast, I got on the bike and I did a 45-minute class. And I was gassed. I had absolutely nothing in me. Now, obviously, I hadn't had any solids for 72 hours. You know, all I had, I had um, water with electrolytes and I'd been drinking black coffee. But it was actually quite liberating to experience a body that had no energy. Because, you know, if, if ever you wanted to understand the power of carbs, this was that, this was it. You know, to obviously we don't want to have excessive carbs. The whole world is on an anti-carb kick, you know, keto, bloody blah. Um, but to, to witness my body without any energy was, you know, it was debilitating and it was liberating. You know, to actually realize and understand the body is a machine and, and why and how it's important, so important to fuel it. Of course, we have to fuel our mind, our soul, our heart, you know, our body. We have to fuel every aspect of us that, that keeps this complex engine running because it isn't just a physical engine. You know, our relationships, our motivation, our inspiration, you know, sometimes we are fueled and motivated by, um, you know, by moving towards and sometimes we're fueled and motivated by running away from or pushing against the idea of, I'm a huge believer that we need enemies in our life. Now, you may think that that's a little strange from me because it's not something that you would generally hear me talking about. When I say an enemy, the enemy could be a person. The enemy could be mediocrity. You know, the enemy could be um, uh, monotony. Um, but we always have to... We, you know, I was saying to someone the other day, the definition of evil is in fact the absence of good. So if you think about it, even kind of like from a theological standpoint, from a, you know, a religious standpoint, if you believe in God, if God is all-knowing and all-powering and all-powerful and, and all-encompassing, how can there be evil in the world? I mean, how is it possible for there to be evil in the world or not good? Well, evil equals the absence of good. So by definition, when God withdraws or, or contracts or, or takes a step back, in that absence is evil. And so how do, you, how do you counter that? Well, you counter that with good, with creating more good. So everyone needs an enemy, I think. Now, I would love to hear your thoughts on that because you may disagree. You may disagree and say that's not true, kumbaya. You know, the world exists and the world is, is great when everyone is just getting along and everyone is on the same page. But, you know, this idea of having that enemy, you know, when you, when you do the Jungian um, archetypes, every single one of these archetypes has an enemy. The jester, the everyman or every woman, the, the, the explorer, the ruler, the lover, each superpower, if over-indexed on, actually can backfire, can create an Achilles heel. You know, a ruler, if they become too power-hungry, can become from benevolent to malevolent. You know, the magician, if they lean too much into their sorcery, can become, you know, exactly that, a sorcerer. It's, it's amazing when you actually think about the fact that a superpower, a strength, if over-delivered on, can actually become maybe, maybe not so much a weakness, uh, but can actually trip you up. Hello to Slick, and it's great seeing everyone coming through today. So, who's your enemy? Do you have an enemy? Is it a person? Is it a thing? Is it an idea? Is it a concept? Is it an ideal? How do you, what motivates you? What motivates you? Are you someone who runs towards? Or are you someone who runs away from? Or are you someone who pushes off against? 
in many respects that might be also overlaid against the concept of fight, flight, or freeze. What gets you off your butt, right? Inertia versus momentum. What creates momentum in your life? When are you coasting and when are you stuck? Something to think about. When are you in your element and when are you out of your element? When are you a fish out of water and when do you feel like you're with your own kind? Every interaction you have with people, do you feel afterwards that you need to take a bath or do you feel clean? Or, you know, the analogy that I've used with respect to the Collective Cafe is that I always walk out feeling better than when I came in. I always feel like I've moved forward. And it doesn't matter how many people are in the audience, on the stage, or listening. For me, for me, it's, it's an hour of um, catharsis, provocation, um, meditation, discovery, articulation. That's why I encourage people to come on stage. That's why, you know, I, loved, I love No Agenda Friday. Uh, Slick says, uh, I can be my own worst enemy. Well, that's a really, really interesting build. What happens when, when the enemy is within, when you are your own worst enemy? Do you, and, and how do you push off against yourself? I think there's a lot of interesting stuff in that, you know, which is, which is being your own worst enemy uh, is, I mean, there's, I don't think there's, I think that's a tough, that, that is a challenge. There's, there's nothing, I'm, I'm trying to, I was going to say there's nothing redeeming about it, but maybe there is. There always has to be something redeeming. Maybe it's the fact that you challenge yourself. You are your own worst critic, and so you push yourself and propel yourself to be great, to be greater, to be better. But you also still need to be able to find a way and find the time. And if it doesn't come from inside, then it needs to come from outside, which is to give yourself grace and be able to take a break and take a, a deep breath and pat yourself on the back and say, you know what, I'm not half bad. This was actually a good day. I think one of the hardest challenges in our lives is when we've had parents who have been so hard on us, either genuinely and legitimately in the name of helping us and, and, and propelling us to be great and whatever the case may be. Or, you know, I don't want to say it maliciously, but there are certainly um, parents that have pushed their kids unnecessarily so. So it's another thought as well, right? Which is, if we are our own worst enemy at the best of times, how do we get out of our own heads how do we find um, that counterbalance, that antidote to ourselves? And I would argue we find that in community. We find that in therapy. We find that in human interaction. We find that through and because, explicitly because of vulnerability, to be able to say everything from, I don't have all the answers. I messed up. I need the help. Can you help me? I think it must be exhausting to always have to be right, to always have to be on point, to always have to have an answer. I think it's liberating to say, you know what? I actually don't know the answer. That's a, you know, I mean, it goes back to the, you know, you've heard me say this. I hate that's a great question. Now, that's actually a great question. It's like, is it really though? Is it is it really a great question? You know, is that going to go down as a Hall of Famer question? Can we translate that into German? That's a great question, really. You know, I've said that that my new thing is going to be. That's a question I've never I've been asked before. You know, that's a very interesting question. I don't think I've been asked that before. 
And because I haven't been asked that before, guess what? I'm going to be thinking on my feet. So, you know, warning. I don't think, you know, I, at best, you're going to be very impressed with me for being able to give you an answer off the cuff. But at worst, I'm just bullshitting you in thinking on my feet, in walking and chewing gum at the same time. So the liberation of being able to say, you know, can I get back to you on that one? I actually don't know the answer. You know, Sharon, uh, story-powered, every time she asks a question of any of our guests, she generally stumps them. Stump Sharon. Sharon stumps. And um, because she, as a storyteller, asks questions that people don't expect, that are different, that are thought-provoking. So I love that idea. I love the idea of being able to not say that's a great question or that's a question I've never been asked before, but you know what? You stumped me. Congratulations. Here's my best guess or my best attempt at a, an interim answer, but I'm going to get back to you. In fact, I think as a, as a public speaker, if I ever do you know, the whole public speaking thing again, I'm going to turn around to everyone in the room and say, so here's a question that has prompted me to go back and prepare some more content for you. And that content's going to be a bonus for you. And uh, we just have to figure out how to get hold of one another. It's a great way, by the way, to say, sign up for my newsletter and I'll, you know, that's, that's my way of being able to share with you the answer. I'm going to actually produce a little 10-minute uh, piece of video that, that answers the question. And by the way, that is exactly where I think a POAP might play a very interesting role. So I would think just in my mind how that would work is the ability to use the POAP, which is, which is a token, right, to then be able to, uh, I imagine, I'm going to check this out, but you would be able to then token gate using that POAP that would maybe open just one specific channel in a Discord that might just say, you know, I don't know, consumer, you know, South by Southwest 2023. And in there is that little clip, that little piece of video. That's one way to be able to deliver something super specific and and honest. And by the way, there is a business aspect to it. There is monetization because... You know, every public speaker goes into a room filled with a thousand people thinking, how many leads am I going to get? How many repeat bookings am I going to get? How do I get people to watch my show or subscribe to my show or sign up for my newsletter, join the Alpha Collective or blah, 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 or buy my book? There's always calls to action. Very few public speakers are going to just come on stage unless they really are being paid a lot of money and they, you know, don't care, they don't need the business, it's probably Seth Godin. But if you're not Seth Godin or Malcolm Gladwell, you generally, you know, want to be able to figure out how to continue the conversation. And that's one way to do it, is to actually say, I'm going to go back and produce some bonus content based on that very, very provocative question that I've never been asked before and that I don't have an answer for you right now, but I will. But that also comes from humility. It's so easy when you think about it. I mean, as I'm thinking about it now, I'm like, why have I never done that before? Because people are insecure. People are, are scared to be able to say, I don't know the answer. That's why I think it must be kind of exhausting uh, you know, to be a mentor or a coach you know, or even a therapist to be able to always have to have the answer. I mean, such is life. That's what it is to be a subject matter expert. That's why people are paying you the big bucks. And and there is a fix, there is a solve or a solution, which is if you have enough experience, you have the ability to draw from that experience. 
from all of these past lives and past experiences and past cases and past clients and past case histories to be able to, you know, using the Lego analogy, you can take from, you know, the the red box, the blue box, the yellow box, the green box, or the small bricks, the large bricks, the, you know, rectangular bricks, the square bricks, to be able to cobble together uh, a solution. And that's the art. That's the art that comes from the experience. The experience is the science, but the art is the ability to now create new connections. And I don't think that that is a contradiction with respect to this idea of of being the smartest person in the room, you know, of, of having to come up with an answer versus being able to say, I don't know what the answer is. I think it's on a case-by-case basis. So as you think about your week, and uh, it's about 10 minutes to go, so if anyone wants to come up and share their manifested goals for the week, the month, the year, would love to have you on stage, raise your hand, or just come straight up to the stage. But just think about, you know, as you try and achieve your goals, are you asking for help at the right time from the right people? Are you demonstrating a little bit of your humanity, your vulnerability, your fallibility? Are you, are you comfortable asking for help? And taking help? Do you feel sometimes alone and, and, and isolated that there's no one that understands you or no one that's willing to help? Well, again, that's the power of community. It's the power of having a safe space where people can ask questions and come up with comments um, and feel that they're not going to be judged uh, or shamed, you know, or ridiculed um, or, you know, on the opposite side, told what to do, commanded what to do. Uh, Praxim says, I tell my kids all the time when they say, I have a question, I have an answer, but it may not be the answer to your question. Well, that's interesting. In fact, I'm going to answer your question with another question. I have an answer, but it may not be the answer to your question. That's very esoteric. I thought as I was reading it, you were going to say, I have an answer, but it may not be the answer you want. So that's a different thing. So when you say I have an answer, but it may not be the answer to your question, what do you mean by that? What is the answer to? You're going to have to come and explain yourself, damn it. But yeah, I mean, going back to that idea, We've got to encourage people to ask questions. So many times when I've delivered my keynotes in the past, I say, are there any questions? And there's like sometimes crickets in the room. That upsets me so much. And I suppose, you know, I suppose in many respects, where are my crickets? I gotta, I gotta find, here are my crickets. They're my crickets. Um, in some cases, I know why. I mean, in some cases, there are audiences, like, for example, the, you know, uh, the Belgian, European audiences, but like the Belgian and the Dutch audiences, they generally don't ask questions. Uh, in, in the Far East, the same thing. So, you know, sometimes there are language barriers. Um, but it's like, I'm always, I'm always a little unsatisfied when that happens, to be honest. Because I feel like, I don't feel like I was so perfect that it's that there are just no questions. Just, you know, not possible for there to be questions. So I feel like maybe what I've done is I haven't created um, an environment or, or the ability, you know, for people to feel safe to ask the question. You know, sometimes I am the person who, you know, who is on stage, fire and brimstone, performing, that maybe what I've done is I've made myself not as approachable as I would would have wanted to have been. Not as warm, not as endearing, not as maybe I need to be more self-deprecating. Maybe I need to 
give people permission to want to ask a question. You see the difference, right? The difference is, is I could walk away and go, I was so perfect, I crushed it that there were no questions. not possible to ask a question because there's uh, just, you know, no uh, loose ends, you know, no open-ended. This was just, you know, a masterpiece from beginning to end. That's just not possible. So maybe I need to prompt. Maybe I need to do better. Maybe I need to, to, to create some ideas for what questions might look like. Maybe I need to incentivize questions. I've done that in the past. Free book. Now I can probably do that with, uh, with NFTs maybe. Remember like in Monopoly, you have uh, uh, chance and community chest. Chance with a question mark. Maybe that's a cool idea for public speakers to actually have question NFTs. And everyone who asks a question gets an NFT. And after you've earned 10 of them or three of them or five of them, you can redeem them for, um, you know, a 30-minute Zoom. That's a cool idea. All of these things come out by opening yourself to whether it's criticism or constructive criticism or, you know, being or just being able to continue the conversation. And I, and I will tell you, I will tell you that like there are, I always feel cheated when I'm in the audience and somebody delivers a presentation and there's no questions. Tim says, when you say, are, are there any questions? You put a ton of pressure on the audience to have a formulated question at the ready. You can mix it up. What does this, what I covered, mean to you? Does what I've said make sense in your area or domain? What does, in parentheses, what I covered, trigger for you? Ooh, that's a good word, trigger. Another thing, Tim, is to actually invite questions right at the beginning. So people have time to formulate the question. But I like what you've done. You've created parameters. You've created parameters by going, let me help you to ask the right question. Or, or maybe that's a little bit, that sounds almost patronizing. Let me provide some uh, question starters, right? Conversation starters as well. I think in order to do that, um, you've got to, you know, to summarize, you've got to create the safe space to allow people to ask the question. You've got to be able to give them time and give them parameters and help them make those connections. Now, I'll tell you that what I've also witnessed in my career is the opposite, where people come with, with um, I don't want to say dumb questions, but in some cases, if you give your, and this is almost like a bit of a contradiction, but if you give your audience too much power, they can abuse that power too. They can challenge you. They can disagree with you. Sometimes there can also be a lack of respect that comes from an audience, especially if you give them too much power. So there is a power dynamic. When you're on stage, you are in control, which is why the safest thing you can ever do when you're on stage is not to take questions because you've created a foolproof mechanism. And the minute that you start to take questions, you now open yourself up, A, to not being able to answer the questions, or someone that, that for whatever reason, um, is not offended, maybe not the word, the word I'm looking for is offended, but maybe uh, unhappy or unsettled with your point of view, especially if you're offering a counterpoint, something that differs from their worldview. So just a few thoughts as well. You know, it's the be careful what you wish for. You know, I've gone in and I've pushed and pushed and pushed for people to ask questions. Well, you know, to, to quote the uh, sage uh, Praxim, I have a question, I have an answer, but it may not be the answer to your question. Well, you know, the flip side of that is in pushing, pushing people to ask the question, you may not like the question. So it may not be the question you did, in fact, expect. 
So these are all things to think about. Well, it is almost 9 a.m. Uh, I am hoping, you know, if, it, if, if at first you don't succeed, try, 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 apparently, and try again. Uh, so let me know if that POAP is now working. Uh, one word, lowercase, decaf, um, and it should be available for the next 10 minutes. And remember, all of you today, you got a coffee or a latte or a flat white heading your way the next time we see each other IRL. Maybe um, it's going to be at South by Southwest. That's my next trip, March South by Southwest. So if anyone's coming to South by Southwest, uh, if you use these POAPs, you, uh, you're, you're going to be drinking on the house. Cocktails and coffees and conversation in the cafe chat, in the collective cafe, all the C's, collective cafe, cafe chat, coffee, cocktails, um, and conversation. And the most important thing is great conversation. Have an amazing Monday. I will see you all uh, bright and early, 8 a.m. on Tuesday. Uh, we are expecting our first snowfall of five to eight inches and first snowfall of the season and certainly the biggest one by virtue of the fact that it's the only one. So it's going to be a bit of a snow day tomorrow, uh, but it will not affect the Collective Cafe. So stay warm, stay safe, stay healthy, make it a great Monday, and I will see you all soon. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.